0: This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Innenin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 80 of Fearless Rebel Radio, and I am interviewing Rebecca Scritchfield, author of Body Kindness, about how to tend to your health without triggering the dieting mindset, and so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast, including a link to Rebecca's book at com forward slash 80. That's eight zero. Before we begin, I have two announcements. First, if you haven't already done so, I would greatly appreciate it if you went to iTunes to leave a review for this show. Leaving review helps others to find the show and the information you are learning here. Let's take down diet culture. Let's bump out some of those other diet culture-focused podcasts out of the rankings and put this one up there. In order to do that, I need your help, though. You can do that by going to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews, and click to leave a review or simply give it a rating. Second, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. If you haven't already done that, go get your body confidence makeover. If you can't spell my name, just go to thebodyimagecoach.com. Today's guest is Rebecca Scritchfield. Rebecca is a well being coach, registered dietitian, nutritionist, certified health and fitness specialist, and author of the book Body Kindness, lauded by the New York Times Book Review as simple and true, and Publishers Weekly calls a rousing guide to better health. Through her weight neutral, mindfulness based counseling practice, she helps people create a better life with workable goals that fit individual interests. She is the co-founder of Dietitians for Body Confidence and has influenced millions through her writing, body kindness podcast, and appearances in over 100 media outlets. This podcast is perfect if you are done with dieting and you still want to be a little bit more intentional about The decisions that you're making around movement and food, yet you struggle to do that from a place of kindness, and you struggle to do that without triggering the diet brain. There is also an epic rant in here about Oprah and Weight Watchers, which I think you're going to love. Let's get started with the show. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you here today, and I'd love to start off with you telling our listeners a little bit about your book, Body Kindness. What inspired you to write Body Kindness?
1: Well, uh, I have been um, doing um, behavior counseling. So as a dietitian, I'm also a certified trainer. Um, And actually, I disclose in the book that I, I do this apology, right? Because I for years was part of the problem, like dieting myself, part of diet culture, like, yeah, you know, before Fitbits were popular, I had these armbands, and I was like, put this on and I'm going to watch you and don't, you know, don't you want to be healthy? And like they, they bought into it. That's what they wanted. And, and over time I realized that I didn't really believe the stuff that I was doing anymore because it, it really wasn't working for me long term. but also it wasn't helpful with clients. So for example, um, you know, I, There would be a lack of trust in our relationship or it was too inflexible what I was doing. And I hadn't um, fully been introduced to to um, health at every size, the science behind it or anything like that. But I just knew what I was doing was wrong. Um, And so I started to educate myself and try to figure out, well, if I'm not going to focus on weight as a goal, then how am I going to help people? How do you help people really change their habits? I found positive psychology that way. Um, And it just took it took me a while to get curious, to read, to attend conferences, to ask people who were doing it and and to learn and grow. Um, And so it was it was an evolution when it came to the opportunity to write a book. It was a, it was a huge challenge. I mean, just getting an agent, but then even getting meetings after the reads, um, I got a lot of positive feedback. Um, this is, this is great writing, but we only do diet books. Um, so even to get like, I had three meetings and two offers and, you know, you only need one. So I am not complaining, but that was, it was a very disheartening to, to see this idea that here's something that could actually be helpful and have client stories and be based on science. Um, but just to get so much pushback from the publishing world, um, it, it was partly disappointing, but then also energizing, like, this is, this is what, you know, you need to do. Um, and, and, and really what, what drove home the the title and the theme around body kindness, um, that wasn't even the original idea that I sold. It was, it was more this idea of like, you don't have to worry about your weight, just do things that you enjoy. And the book was called happy hours. Um, and it was, it was kind of, it was, it ended up being like, too cutesy, like too formulaic for me. And, and the real truth behind everything is that I had just had, um, my second daughter was about six months old and literally I can't pinpoint like this specific thing happened. It wasn't one specific thing, but I was adjusting basically to being a mom and being a mom of two kids and trying to work and manage it all. Right. And my inner critic just came back with a vengeance. Like nothing I did was good enough. And, 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 you know. It didn't, you know, I don't, I've never had what I would identify as depression. So it, 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 I would not say that it was like a postpartum depression situation. It was just, I was aware enough to know that you are not treating yourself well. You're being judgmental and critical. You've been down this road before. This is what you help clients with. Like what's going on. And, um, and, and my husband even said something to me. He said, I, I, you know, you're, you're not you, um, what's happening and that night I made a list of things that were important to me that really mattered and it was it was a bunch of stuff some of it um became the body kindness manifesto but one of the items was be kind to your body and it was like it jumped off the page at me and I like circled it and I was like oh my gosh this is it like in everything I've been doing I haven't been nice to myself lately and where's my compassion and 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 where's the self acceptance like these things that that I thought I knew how to do, you know, but I just life presented a challenge and, 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 and I was flailing. um, And so I actually went back to the publisher and said, I have another idea. <laughs> Can't write what you wanted, but can we do this instead? And they were so um, understanding and flexible. And I'm so, so grateful because I think what I ended up with was, you know, the same mindset of you don't have to diet, but, you know, just the way it's presented, like who doesn't want to be kinder to themselves. Um, and I just think that, 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 that matters so much that I'm reinforcing the idea of love connection, caring, self-acceptance, you know, even if you want to change things, it grows from acceptance. And, and none of that was in my plan when I got the original deal, it was just kind of like follow the formula and get something published and you'll see. And so I'm just really grateful with the end product.
0: That's amazing. And I would love you to give, um, a little bit of a synopsis of what the book is about and who, who it's for.
1: Sure. Uh, so I would say if you feel like you want to take a hammer to your scale, um, that book is for you. (laughs) Um, if you have, um, done a diet at least one, but most people, um, you know, who would, who this would really resonate with, um, you know, would be a chronic dieter. So anyone who's done two or three or more, um, I think the average is seven or nine. So, um, this book would be for you, uh, especially if you are at a place where you realize that in the long term, it's not helpful. It doesn't help you build healthy habits. It, you know, it, it doesn't lead to your empowerment. Um, if you feel stuck at all with self-acceptance, so you know you know that this is an important road, um, but it, it's hard. You're going to get through client stories and and through my coaching, like in nutrition and, and exercise and and positive behavior change. You're you're going to get that support throughout the book and suggested activities that you can do. Um, so I like to think of it as like a blueprint for creating a better life versus taking up less space. Um, you know, and really I just completely take weight off the table. And, and and I even address like, you know, what do I think the best way to lose weight? You know, because, and and I say, don't even set a weight loss goal. Like if, if that's going to be in the cards for you, it's because you don't even look at it. Um, And 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 really, I spend several paragraphs saying why it really shouldn't be in the cards for you. But I just know that there's that doubter that's just like, but, 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 but. And I was like, okay, you know, you could still do the book, but like, don't even, you know, put those goals on the table. Otherwise, you're doing another diet.
0: Yeah and I love I love how your book addresses both the physical and mental side of health and I think that what your book offers is uh is some guidance around food in a way that is um Sane (laughs) to put it, (laughs) to put it, to put it. You are uh, not insane. Thank you. And, um, and, and something that is, is not out there because I I don't think there's a a lot of information out there with specific nutritional advice from a health at every size perspective. And I think that from my perspective, reading the book, it's absolutely for somebody who still wants to. Be healthy or be more intentional with their mm-hmm. behaviors as it relates to their health, um, but do it from a non-dieting, weight-neutral perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and in an area of the book that I could think of that that where that really drives home is, is in the chapter where I talk about food, um, and food choices, and and I show the balanced plate concept. Right. So it's like there there's. Yeah, there's good science, right, that shows that veggies are beneficial and fruits are beneficial, right? But it's like we've been hammered this stuff, you know, around good and bad food that it's difficult to kind of separate truly science-based advice for longevity and energy and all this stuff because it, it looks like diet talk, Um And so, you know, really the advice that I give is advice I follow myself, which is like, okay, if you're hitting the bullseye, the plate looks like this. And and you don't have to weigh or measure or count calories or worry about it because that's how you know you're meeting those needs for health and fiber and 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 proteins and all those things when you aim for balance. But in reality, when I have pizza, it's never going to look like that balance plate where only one fourth of the plate <laughs> is starch. You know, it's never going to look like that. And so when you show the different flexible options, based on if you're hungry or craving something more, um, and then there's a picture that I don't show but it's just like or you just eat what you want like you don't have to prioritize nutrition every time you eat right and and, and I think that's what is so unique about it is is how can you in a book that it, you know where books are tend to be prescriptive but guide toward flexibility um that was really important to me
0: yeah and I think that 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 comes across like there's there's a really good Balance, And I think, you know, obviously, like taking into account the mental side of it, too, and being really mindful of where you're judging yourself or where you're looking at things through that good or bad lens, which which I do want to ask you more about in a bit. But um, building up to that, I would love to know what your experience has been just working with with people about dropping rules. So I think a lot of the time people are afraid to leave dieting behind because mm-hmm. uh, we've become so disempowered. You know, we've been taught that we can't trust ourselves, that um, – uh, you know that we have to follow rules or somebody else's uh, mon—not mantra, but philosophy—in order to make decisions for ourselves. And I think that going from that transition of breaking free of rules to starting to listen and trust yourself and give yourself allowance around food, it can be really scary. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's particular stages that people go through? What What's your experience been with that? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, well, um, so I, well, so what it, You mentioned the word scary, and what will forever come to my mind when I hear scary is the word fear. And what will forever come to my mind when I hear fear is when, um, one of my dear, dear clients who was, um, struggling with, um, an eating disorder, uh, was also struggling with a a drug addiction, and she was being, um, treated for both. And, um, You know, I remember when she pranced in my office one day and just said, I've got it. You know, I learned something and it was basically, you know, for fear, um, you know, face everything and recover or fuck everything and run, you know. And I was like, "Ooh, I like that. And so, you know, like this idea of like that you have a choice between fear and the idea that you're going to face it is is crucial Um I also like the visual of that you're driving a car and fear, you know, is in the back seat and fear might be saying, you know, even more loudly. You know, when you start to make changes, your your fear, your inner critic can get even louder because it doesn't really want things to change. But you're still driving the car and that voice can annoy you all it wants. It doesn't have the steering wheel. And so this idea that you have the steering wheel um, I think I say in the book, like you control the gas and the brake. So to know that you have this power and in- how, how you're going to break free from dieting it's this is not there is no rule book right that we all follow that says this is how everybody here's our standards for breaking free from dieting it is much more a very personal intimate journey that's based on personal experiences and personal healing and you know there's there's no two paths that are exactly alike but we are human beings and we are feeling creatures first we are highly emotional feeling creatures negative emotions especially strong negative emotions like fear are normal emotions and it's a sign that you want to change something which is good because you know you're going in the right direction so the more you can accept that fear is going to be in the car you know and, and 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 you know that you can sit with that fear while you make the next best choice for you personally not what's in the rule book what do i need to do right here in this situation and that is going to lead to the next one and it's all going to be kind of part of what guides you and you know welcome mistakes into your life in this process because all mistakes are opportunities to learn and grow And my mistakes have been my best teachers to say, okay, we don't want more of this, so let's try something else. Um, But I think we want to avoid pain so much that we just want the process to be easy. And it's just not going to be not when we're in diet culture, not when we've been conditioned to hate ourselves and our bodies so much. And that much of what we come into on a daily basis wants to continue to oppress us.
0: You said that so well. And I think it is, uh, like you said, it's about making those personal choices. But when you haven't been at the wheel because you've been letting fear drive for so long, mm-hmm. it's it's so messy in that initial phase. Um, one thing I've noticed is that there's often a bit of a a rebellion or the pendulum swinging. And I know you said this is a personalized experience for everyone. And I think that in a lot of cases for people who were chronic dieters or really restricting or had disordered eating or obviously a a full-blown eating disorder, that pendulum has to swing in order for your body to receive all of the nourishment that it has been deprived of. Mm -hmm. However, I'm curious to know what are some factors that, that perhaps keep people stuck in that phase. One of the things I hear is is from people who say, okay, I've been giving myself full permission. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been eating all the foods, all of my fear foods, uh, and yet I still feel like I'm rebelling or I still feel mm-hmm. like I'm you know eating to the point of physical discomfort. Right.
1: Well, so it's it, it's a very interesting question and, and, and something, you know, if you don't work with people with eating disorders, something that a lot of people don't know is eating disorders can mana can like switch and manifest kind of to a different disorder, um, which we don't want. Right. We want recovery. So someone who it, it was struggling with, you know, restrictive, whether it was, you know, anorexia or bulimia restrictive type then you know, could could, you know, transition into more something that resembles binge eating disorder or an unspecified eating disorder. So so from a clinician standpoint, we're always aware of the process of recovery and the support that you get with recovery. Um, so, you know, if somebody is, um, you know, like you were saying, trying to say, OK, so kind of almost jump right from restriction to full permission to eat. I mean, it's definitely thousand percent support intuitive eating. It is a top intuitive eating principle. Um, I've studied supervision under Evelyn Triboli, and we've talked in our supervision groups about that. And at the end of the day, that there is. There There are helpful ways of how you allow these guideposts to fill in your life. So let me give you an example. Um, You can agree philosophically that there are no good and bad foods and bought into that. But if your goal day one is I just need to let my body eat whatever it wants and whatever it craves, if you believe that you can do that and still um, stay tuned in because uh, attunement is also a big part of intuitive eating. So you could still honor your hunger and respect your fullness and just whatever I want is fine. And that feels comfortable to you. I say go for it. I would never say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. But I think that we agree in the principle of full permission to eat. But we don't come up with a structure that feels safe. So it's almost like if my two year old went into a five foot pool with no swimmies on, she's going to sink to the bottom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she needs her swimmies. Um, so it could be if you're making mistakes like that to, to think like, do I need a little bit of a, um, you know, a plan where it's like one fear food a day or and it's not a diet, but just more what where do I get my confidence from you know, in this approach. I don't know if that answered your question or what you were thinking about, but, um, basically it's almost like you want to, you know, think about, okay, so this is the philosophy. What, um, what do I think I could do of this philosophy today? And it may be that you have to take steps, um, and that you're expecting that you're at like a full blown, comfortable, confident, intuitive eater. The second you give up dieting, that might be too difficult for some people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think what what I'm taking away from this is, is allowing yourself to not get it right and to play around with different things, but to also know when to stop. Like if something doesn't feel right for you, then change it up. You know, and and like you said, like there's kind of different principles that you can that you can draw in and see if that works for you, because, you know, the other side of this is that a lot of people turn intuitive eating into a diet and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll come to me and say, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm I if I'm only eating when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm full, then, you know, I need to be doing this and it's driving me crazy. And all I'm thinking about is food. And, and I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, you've you've clearly turned it into a diet. So a diet. for that individual, though, that. That particular principle is not working for them at
1: that Mm -hmm. time,
0: whereas Mm -hmm. for somebody else, that might be helpful because they've never actually paid attention to those things. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what we both kind of agree on here is that it's not like a one size fits all approach. And again, it's like using your own intuition to figure out, is this, is this working for me? Like, how am I feeling? And mm-hmm. really taking your power back. And like you said, using the metaphor of being in the driver's seat.
1: Yeah. And, 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 in both, in both cases, they, they may need coaching from someone who's been there before, you know, they may need a dietitian. they may need, you know, like they may need a coach that, that, that can help them, um, because it, it is challenging to do on your own, um. And, and yeah, you know, I would say in both cases that there's a sense of awareness for what you think you need. Um, and, and I would venture to guess, you know, and, and Evelyn Tribble and Lisa Resch will say over and again, intuitive eating is not a diet. It is not a diet. I totally see people using it as a diet, you know, when they'll, it's almost like, um, oh, I thought about what I really wanted and it really wasn't um, the Cheetos, you know, it really was carrots and hummus. And, you know, but it's like you never hear the story of like, I thought about what I really wanted and it really was, you know, Nutella on toast. Like, so, it, you know, it's not embrace intuitive eating and you're suddenly always going to crave the health food. Um, that would not be intuitive eating. And I would venture to guess when people turn it into a diet that deep down, they're still hoping to lose weight. Yes. And that is that is the crucial point is that they haven't fully let go of this. Well, maybe this will be the next thing that will help me lose weight. And that's what the person has to address. It's not saying you won't lose weight, but it's like giving up Giving up that sense of control to really fully embrace, I need to connect to my body. I need to connect to my body. I need to stop and think about what makes sense right now. When you're, You know, you're tired and, it, you know, and you had a bad day, you know, some people can be at a place of health where truly they could make a comfort food, pasta dish and dessert and not feel an ounce of guilt or shame, feel like that was part of their self-care plan, somebody else could come home and have that same day and say, screw it and eat the same food, but maybe more or get uncomfortably full. And then, and and that's a mistake. And it really just depends on what is driving your decisions and is it rational thinking for what feels like self-care to you in that moment. And that's why it's so personal because you're gonna get something different depending on what's going on with you and where your head is at
0: hmm Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. And I want to come back to one of the things you said at the beginning, which is who doesn't want to be kinder to their bodies? But the interesting thing about that is that dieting is perceived as an act of kindness to our bodies, you know, and and, and specifically my mind gravitates towards the the Weight Watchers Oprah advertisements, because mm-hmm. she clearly, you know, draws this association between Losing weight and living your best life, and mm-hmm. that losing weight from that perspective is an act of kindness, so I think that where I'd like to go with this or at least hear your hear your point of view is the ways in which dieting has led us astray, and how how it's it's not an act of kindness and kind of just blowing up some of the stuff around that. Mhm, I am
1: so. I'm so frustrated with Weight Watchers <laughs> as the example. I mean, it's uh, it is. So I remember when they were first rolling it out, like last fall, and we got invited to be part of this call. And I, I think it was people who write for like U.S. News and other publications, and there were other dietitians and stuff on the call too. So I called in, of course, out of curiosity to to listen, and I kind of felt it was like that scenario where it's like. So as long as your name's still Weight Watchers, you are still diet focused. But I mean, they would say things like, so we looked into it and we know that exercise has health benefits, even if it doesn't include weight loss, you know, like even if weight loss is not part of the equation. So it's like they're seeing like all the non-diet stuff writing on the wall. And they even said, well, you know, we got rid of BMI charts in our offices and you don't have to. Um. You don't have to set a weight goal now. And so and that was what my question was. I said, what if you're still giving people points to count and they don't have to set a weight goal that they still have to give their weight to tell you the points? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, but like we're not going to like pressure them, you know, And, and it's just tough because it's like you see certain things and it's like, okay, maybe some of these things are things, you know, like kind of like that love yourself stuff are things that you would use. And it's almost like a hijacking. And that's what makes me so mad about it is because they're still called Weight Watchers. They still are using Oprah's clout in her commercials to celebrate it. And, you know, this is just one example, but I did a little digging. I really probably could have been a private eye in another life. Um, But like (laughs) when her when her food book came out, there's like a three quarters written blog post that I just haven't published. So I'll just share it here and then I don't have to do the blog. But when, when when her um, recipe book came out um, on like the Amazon pages that you read, she basically says like I was 17 pounds higher than my typical high weight when they came to me about the Weight Watchers opportunity. So, as a clinician right when I saw that I I would say that that is somebody that is not at their true natural higher weight that stuff was going on in their life where they had some weight gain right, right. and and so to me and what I've seen in practice and what I've seen scientifically is if somebody's at a, not at their set point you know with healthy habits then then that then doing something like a structured, you know, you stop eating chocolate cake in bed or overeating or whatever she was doing. We don't know, right? It's her private life, but you stop doing certain things. And if that wasn't a stable weight for you, that weight would come off, you know, theoretically, I don't want to say easy, but but for lack of a better term, that's sort of what we expect if somebody hasn't had that as their set point that through habit change, that's not going to be, you know, as quote stubborn as other pounds, right? So she brags about this 40 pound weight loss. And, you know, so I'm reading, okay, so is it really 40 pounds if that wasn't your true weight? Almost like you're lying to people. Um and we could split hairs about that. But the other thing is, is that um when you look at the stock, you know, because weight watchers is a stock. And so there was this um stock article that showed that when that certain commercial came out, you know like the most recent commercial that the stock saw a boost and so basically she made like 33 million dollars and I'm like, right I don't know many people who wouldn't be willing to follow you know some weight suppression to make 33 million dollars and just her fans are like, Oprah doesn't need the money whatever whatever and it's like I'm I'm not gonna be able to convince her fans but you know using this as the example, it's absolutely a diet. You know, it tells you lies that life is better when you lose weight. And it's like, even if somebody were to say, you know what, Rebecca, I did Weight Watchers. I appreciated the structure. It helped me with flexibility. It gave me all these benefits and I lost weight and I'm grateful to it. Like, I can't tell every single person in the world exactly what you think is going to help you. But for you to say that my life is better because I lost weight as opposed to I take better care of myself. I sleep better. You know, my skin feels healthier. My body feels stronger. I learned yoga. You know, I'm more social. Like, all those things are accessible when you change how you treat yourself and are accessible even if you don't lose a pound. And frankly, even if you gain weight, you know, all those things are accessible. They have nothing to do with your body. And that is. I mean as you can tell I get very angry about this stuff but like that is what I urgh, I just wish we could erase life doesn't start you know like it, maybe if you're a bit happier it's because you're more conforming to diet culture but is that really what you want out of life or do you want do you want to appreciate what you did to change in your habits and help others change their habits too and stop the body comparison you know this is not about you fitting into diet culture it's about changing diet culture
0: i'm really glad i asked you that <laughs> <laughs>
1: Rant and rant.
0: (laughs) No, that was great. I, I I feel you. You said it. You said it so well. You said it so well there. And um, you know, I've written I've written about Oprah and her decision to back Weight Watchers before on my on my blog, and and how I believe that that's a harmful message, and and that you know, Oprah's done so many incredible things with her career in terms of shattering glass ceilings and, um, you know, being the first woman and woman of color to do many things. And here we are celebrating the fact that she's lost 40 pounds. And I I, I just think that that most
1: important thing she could do, right? It's it's
0: it's just I mean, it's it's um, a metaphor for everything that is wrong with with our society's obsession with dieting and and quote unquote health. It's everything yeah. that's wrong with it, that all of our other accomplishments as women are, are come as secondary to yeah. to to controlling our body size. Um, mm-hmm. and, and clearly, like both of us feel very passionate about this and we could go on and on and on about it. But yeah. um, it's not kindness. You know, it's, no. it's the opposite. It's the opposite of of kindness. I think, you know, I, I it's you're you're essentially shrinking yourself to to gain this level of respect for yourself which just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah. No, I mean I I mean I agree and it's just um you know I I was just thinking about this about how how not much has changed. So I'm like 40 this year, so I'm kind of getting sentimental like what do I want the next 10 years to be like? And I was actually thinking about you know, when I first started like noticing my body and body changing. And when I first, you know, started distrusting my body and, you know, it was a slow evolution from 10 to 12. Um, and you know, when you look at the stats of like, that by 10 kids have tried one diet, you know, and they're skipping meals with an intention to lose weight. Um, you know, that, that this stuff was, this was happening. This was like this when I was young. I think that if, in any, in a lot of ways, maybe it's gotten worse because when I was young, I mean, we, when I was that young, we didn't have like computers and the internet. So there, you know, but like now with social media and the way we can compare to other people and we're attached to our devices and now we can compare ourselves like with the world. And it's, I've got two young daughters they're they're two and a half and four and a half. And I'm like, Are they going to be okay? Like, I want the world to be better for them. I'm not against difficulty. You know, there's going to be other issues and pressures and stuff. But, like, not much has changed, you know – in the fact that we're still trying to oppress women to say the most important thing you could do is make sure you're beautiful, make sure you're pretty. And there's so much important work going in in the body positive world to, you know, break the barriers of what is beauty and, and, and we need to keep, we need more of that. We need a, so much more representation of diverse body shapes, sizes, colors, abilities, all of it. You know, we need so much more of that. Um, Because we can't begin to love what we don't see and what we don't hear about. Um, But it is like, it's so much of a valuable industry, like 50 some billion a year. Like nobody's going to give up that money. So I really want to figure out how do we let people know that like we will buy your stuff if you stop making us feel like a piece of crap (laughs) because we can shift that money into other things but just not not dieting things And, and I just I hate today's diets like I cannot stand it is not a personal jealousy thing but like how popular something like Whole30 is. I mean, it is insane. It is not science-based. They literally say everything you put into your body can either help your health or harm your health. I mean, that is just obsessive and anxiety. I have a client who came back to me and she's like, I just want to eat rice again and not feel guilty. I'm like, I cannot believe I am getting paid to help somebody say that rice is okay. Like that, you know, the fact that you can't have peanut butter or legumes. I mean, it is, it is absolutely insane, but they say, well, we're not a diet. You know, this is a lifestyle about taking care of your body. And it is a whole, I call it diets in disguise. It is a whole sick breed of of food obsession that even if it's not directly about your appearance, it's still about a lack of worthiness. And that if you follow my plan, you will be more clean or more pure or more holy or whatever you want to say. And, um, you know, most people I've talked to, they're like, I did it for 30 days and then I ate five donuts the next day. Like it is just against biology. And I, and, and yet, I mean, they're millionaires and they sell so many books and, It it, it makes me kind of scared where I wonder, like, are we making a difference? (laughs) And what is it going to take to really move the needle?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, things get really tricky when you have people who have to make changes for a specific medical condition Mm -hmm. versus people who follow these really prescriptive Elimination style diets mm-hmm. who don't have specific medical conditions, you know, yeah. like, the, and, and, and then what happens is, is we lose, we lose the ability to make choices for ourselves that will improve our health, unless it's following some very rigid prescriptive plan. Yeah, Well, and, lose the ability. Yeah. You never get it.
1: It's like you're born with these intuitive eating skills. What your the, your parents food philosophy influence yours and then diet culture influences you. So you never learn how to make choices. How are you going to how are you going to you know, it's never going to be easy making choices. The more time you spend following diets that take that power away from you, you're never going to learn. You have to you have to let go of that so you can learn how to decide.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And so let's let's actually get into that, because that's one of the Mm -hmm. things I really wanted to talk to you about is that one of the things that I see people struggle with once they've broken free of dieting is figuring out how to eat, quote unquote, healthy things again, or, you know, just like vegetables, (laughs) you know, things that we know (laughs) are inherently better uh, for our physical well-being. But they have, you know, what I refer to as diet PTSD, And so Mm -hmm. they, you know, eating things like vegetables seems to trigger the diet brain or they still associate it with with that um, morality. Like, I'm a good person if I eat this. So Mm -hmm. what is your what is your advice for someone in this kind of situation? Like, how can they disassociate food with those good and bad affiliations?
1: Yeah, Um, you Well, first is practice. It's it's a a consistent practice of reframing. So you get to decide why you're making that choice and what is meaningful to you about that. Um, So I'll take an example from somebody might, you know, the diet mind might say, you know, baby carrots, turkey sandwich, you know, every, you know, every day, perfectly portioned routine. They know the calories, like something like that. And then it's like, you know, okay, well, you know, you still, you know, need vegetables. What what if you really like carrots? Like, okay, is honestly the best way you like carrots plain? Really? You know, probably not. So if you go for taste first, it's not about assigning a virtue to an individual food, but you think more about taste and pleasure first. Right. Can you reframe, you know, I like the crunchiness of carrots. I like that they're so convenient. Like, I value saving time. I like that I can buy a giant bag of baby carrots and portion it out into snack sacks, you know, with, like, hummus, guac, and ranch dressing so that I can change the dipper and just appreciate the convenience factor, the crunch factor. Or you do like the taste of them. But then ask yourself – How would you enjoy carrots that you otherwise might not have let yourself enjoy when you're in diet mode? And so it may be that you're you're not portioning out two tablespoons of hummus (laughs) and then you put as much hummus on there as you want. Um, or that you actually let yourself have dressings like ranch and blue cheese. You go to a bar, you order wings, and they give you that carrots and celery. They give you blue cheese or ranch with it. There's a reason why, because it's good, you know? And so if you're, you know, let yourself Self taste different types of dressings again without looking at the fat grams on the label and what you really enjoy the taste of, and choose your products based on taste and then pair them up in a way that it's like okay, you know I might hear this voice that's like carrot is the good girl thing, gold star. No, I value taking care of my body and part of that is making sure I eat vegetables of veggies. I like the taste and convenience of carrots and the way I like veggies the most is when I dip them in delicious dips such as xyz. And that is a total reframe. So the more you repeat that and the more you feel that then that voice isn't going to bother you anymore. But if that voice is like, "Ooh, you really shouldn't include this dip." That's just that backseat driver talking and you can't chase it away. You acknowledge it and just say the reason, you know, the reason why I'm eating this is because I like the taste and I'm hungry and I need nourishment, you know. So you've got to kind of re-reframe um that to a value that is non-diety.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think one of the things that I hear a lot or that I notice a lot in working with clients is, you know, they struggle to incorporate some of these things back into their life because they were eating them plain and steamed. <laughs> You know, like I, I had somebody who was oh, like, yeah. but it's plain, like, it's gross. And I was like, well, put butter on it. And yeah. um, and they were and they thought to them, like, I can do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like salt, butter, let's go. Like roast yeah. it in the oven. It's going to taste a million Girl, times better. I, know. <laughs> yeah.
1: I will eat with you any day because salt <laughs> and butter are my friends. And, you know, I used to worry, like, what are people going to think of me as a dietitian?" I used to, that used to be my fear voice all the time. And you know, what really ended that for me, um, there was, it's still out there. There was a Huffington post article and it was, it was like a summertime puff piece, like joke article. It was like, we're asking dietitians if you were on the road and you had to get McDonald's, what would you get and why? And I said, hey, I'm happy to be part of this, but I do want you to do a disclosure that like nobody was paid by McDonald's or works for McDonald's or I wasn't paid like because like people will often be like, oh, well, you're a mouthpiece for this and that, you know, and she's like, no, this is a totally fun article. So, you know, when it came out, I mean, like I expected. I would know, get the salad and a bottle of water, you know, I'd get the cutie. And like, it was just, I was like, Oh gosh, there was somebody said a hamburger at least, but mine was like, you know, like I'd get fries and a chocolate shake and not cold wimpy fries. I want hot, fresh fries. And it was just this whole thing of like exactly how I'd really want it. Mm. And, and I turned it into like, I wouldn't worry, you know, you know, I wouldn't worry about anything else because once I got to my destination, I would think about what, I really wanted. I'd I'd focus on enjoying that next meal. And so it's this really kind of like, you know, just embracing the moment. And I thought really flexible, intuitive eating. And some of the commenters got it as like, this is the only one who told the truth, you know? And, and I appreciate that. I got an email from a dietetic student and she ripped me a new one. I mean she oh. said I was a disgrace to the profession. Hmm. She told me she calculated the calories and, and the gram ninety eight grams of sugar or whatever it was. Can why would you do that? I mean, it was like and and, and it it really, I jumped back and I was going to do this whole coaching thing. And, and I sent it to some of my good friends and, you know, we just decided, you know, this was not a teachable moment. Like there was nothing I could say that was really going to be helpful. And then I had other ways that I could help people. But I, I feel like that experience, it just drove the importance of why you have to be honest and don't worry about what's the most important role I could play here as a registered dietitian because you know, you know, you're about health and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I decide what I think health is in the context of that article. I stand behind what I said. I stand behind using butter and salt. And if I have an individual client that has hypertension, that has a reason that they need to follow a certain prescriptive eating plan, like you said earlier, including watching sodium. Okay. I'm going to work with them and on their lifestyle on how best ways to to watch that. But most of us, things like salt and butter are a flavor enhancer. They help us enjoy food even more. And we can't ignore all the benefits we get out of eating the vegetables Anything from what you might hear about, about fiber and fullness and vitamins and minerals. But even now, the gut microbiome, and this is food for for our gut, which creates serotonin, a relaxing, you know, kind of our little chill pill hormone that helps us deal with stress. So it's like you can find non-weight, non-diet reasons to do something. But at the end of the day, we deserve pleasure and enjoyment of lots of things in life, including our food, and you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that says, "Oh no, it really tastes worse when you use butter and salt."
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Man, if I could take back all the years that I didn't <laughs> eat things like ketchup because of the sugar, or you know, like I don't even know, like sour spray cream, spray butter. Did you ever do spray butter? <laughs> yes, I. I mean, in my own personal, in my own personal journey, I went through a very rigid non-fat low-fat phase <laughs> that lasted about a decade and then I, and then I went the complete opposite direction and went like super low carb and mm. wouldn't even eat a banana. I was yeah. that person that was like terrified of a banana. Yeah. Um and now I eat I eat bananas every day, but I just <laughs> you know I eat lots of fruit now, but that used to be something that I was afraid of, which seems you know that seems really um obsessive. Now that now that you know I'm on the other side of it, but everyone has everyone has that PTSD from whatever diet they kind of invested the most time in, the one that really brainwashed them. And for for a lot of people, it means they they are scared of of fat and things like butter. And for mm-hmm. other people, it means they're scared of things like carbs and specifically things you know like rice or beans or even even in you know in my case like fruit and sweet potatoes, which is so ridiculous because when I added all of the carbs back into my life in abundance, my, my physical fitness improved. I felt a million times better. I slept way better. Um, I, my, I wasn't thinking about food. Like I used to just obsessively think about it and, and think about, you know, like what desserts I was going to eat all the time. And anyways, I just wanted to throw that personal experience in there for anyone listening, because I'm all about those carbs all about yeah.
1: the carbs. <laughs> we need to write a song of all about those carbs. Yes. Those carbs, baby, all about those carbs.
0: Yes. <laughs> we can do it.
1: Oh yeah. my god, I such mean, a and difference. Of course, you know, the carb the carb villain of 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 the year is going to be sugar, which just drives me so crazy. Here's like literally the 2-second tidbit on sugar. So when you actually look at the data, it's called NHANES. It's the best data we have on um eating patterns in America. The average American is consumed is 13% of their calories are coming from sugar. Now that's high from added sugar. That's higher than recommended, but the recommended is 10. So when I look at 10% and 13%, I'm not seeing sugar is going to send you to the grave. I'm really not. Mm -hmm. Added added sugar is going to send you to the grave there. And the number one source of added sugar was caloric soda. And so, you know, and, and, and I'm not even like, I'm not trying to increase soda consumption. You know, we do have to choose how we want to best get our sugar. But if I had a client that was like, I don't really care about ice cream. I don't really care about chocolate. I love to have a soda a day or something, you know, right. Portion context. They feel good. I'm going to help them find a way that they can get pleasure out of what they're consuming. But a vast majority of people, a vast majority of people they're just not daily daily soda drinkers. So I think by the time, you know, if you're a person who's worried about added sugar, but you, you know you have a general healthful eating pattern and the way you use added sugar enhances the pleasure and the taste and the quality, let that be enough because there's a good chance you're already under that 10% and if you're not you're you're in the ballpark, you know. And and I just think it's so misguided and there's a good study that even says even trying to lower that added sugar from 10 to 5%, we don't have evidence that that would improve health and well-being because we cannot directly link sugar. Um, They try to make a direct connection between sugar and obesity. And actually they can't make that direct link. Um, and so they're like, and it's not even feasible for Americans. They would feel too restricted. And and I believe I support that research article and, and, and there was no funding to it. There was, you know, I checked the disclosures on that, but it's like, we have to wake up and understand that, that, that people have an agenda and it's to scare us and to create fear. But we have the power to say, you know what, that just doesn't work for me because here's how I incorporate sugar in my life. And that's
0: okay. Yeah, again, I think it's like it's like shutting down all the noise and coming back mm-hmm. to what what you want for yourself, what works for you. Like how do things make you feel? We've become so out of touch with how things make us feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, because that doesn't matter. I mean, our it doesn't matter, you know, it's you know, or right, like we're so we're so overly worried about other people's view of us whether they're judging our bodies or our behaviors you know that that that, that we let You know, we overthink that versus think about what feels good to us. And the more you focus on what feels good to me, you're saying, I'm worthy, my needs matter, my goals matter, what's important to me matters. Then the less you care about what other people think of you. So it's less about fitting into the crowd and finding what fits for you personally. You will be happier and you'll be healthier and you'll be much more like you said in the beginning sane (laughs) you'll be much more sane um by setting that boundary
0: yeah so with that I mean there's a million other things I wanted to ask you um that we'll have to save for another time and I know that a lot of those answers are in are in your book so um I'd love you to tell people a little bit more about how they can get in touch with you where they can find your book where they can find your book is that it's going to be linked in the show notes at summer in and forward slash 80 zero. Cause this is episode 80, but other places that they can also find your book. And, and I know you have a podcast and everything else too.
1: Sure. Thank you. Well, if you go to body dot book.com, um, click on the tab there that says get started. And you can actually just, when you give your name and email address, I have a free e-course and it's, it's going to be up there, but you can get, um, you know, on demand when you're ready for it, I've got a video and a reflection guide. You can see a sample chapter from the book. It's it's the philosophy chapter, which is a great, you know, it's kind of like a little snack. If you like that snack, you'll love the meal. Um, And so, you know, I think that's a good um, starting point, but it is available wherever books are sold in ebooks at Amazon and all those other retailers. And certainly, you know, I I appreciate um, anyone who wants to learn um, a little bit more. And I thank you for having me on the show today.
0: Yeah, and sorry, what's the name of your podcast so people can find it? Oh, it's it? called
1: Body Kindness. <laughs>
0: Perfect, good. And I want to have you on it. So um, I would love I, that. I would love that, cool. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that once we once we end the recording here. But I I want to thank you so much and I just want to endorse your book. I thought that it was really comprehensive. I loved that you covered so much of the mental and emotional side of things, especially as it relates to responding to the thoughts in your head, the negative thoughts, the judgmental thoughts, feeling your emotions, like po- negative emotions aren't bad. Um, just th- those were a few things that really stuck out to me as being so important. Um, that's obviously where the depth of my my experience and, and that's really where I help people. So of course, those are going to speak to me. But um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's, it's it makes it comprehensive and it adds the pieces that are often missing from other from other health manifestos and this one is certainly one that is going to be um helpful and, and and is so needed and I hope it's one that can surpass some of the other like quote unquote diet culture and, and health culture and weight loss books that are out there because um, that I think that, that it's just perfect for people who want help with their health from a health at every size perspective and um you know they're done with dieting and they've been done with dieting and they're really looking to be a little bit more intentional with with those changes for themselves but they don't know how to do it because they've been so brainwashed so i i just want to endorse it and say that i think it's great um i'm going to link it in the show notes like i said and uh and good job like it was a lot of work i can see that you put a ton of work into it so so kudos to you, my friend. Oh, I'm so grateful.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for being here today. It was an absolute pleasure. I loved talking to you. And I'm glad we got all fired up about some of those. <laughs> some of those <laughs> <laughs> conversations. Resist. Yeah. Yes. I know. We're all a bit fiery these days. I think. <laughs> thank you, Rebecca. All right. Thank you. Rock on. That's a wrap on episode 80 of Fearless Rebel Radio. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed all of the incredible sound bites and advice that Rebecca gave us there. All of the links mentioned are in the show notes at summerinandand.com forward slash 80. Thank you for listening. I will see you next time. Rock on.